shoes as you know i am your host neil matthews thank you thank you thank you thank you one more time thank you so much for joining me today super excited about today's episode i do have to caution you though a little cautionary tale maybe perhaps what we're going to be talking about today i i do believe demands and almost requires some of your attention today so can i just ask just in advance right now that you would just give this your undivided attention because to me we're gonna be talking about a topic that i've always been curious about but maybe never had an opportunity to really walk that curiosity out. What am I going to be talking about? Well, stay tuned for that. By the way, if you'd like to connect with us, please do so at OPSpodcast.com. You, of course, can click on that Connections tab, leave us a voicemail, send us an email. We'd love to hear what you love about the show, even what you hate. I know haters going to hate. Taylor said that best, but, you know, I'm serious. Like, I really do want to hear what you have to say and what you think and directions, you know, of the show that you'd like to see it going. If you were in charge, what would you do? I know, crazy as a host to say that. I'm serious. But if you'd also like to follow us, like us, tweet us, you can do so at OPS podcast show. A little different, but do that as well. We, of course, would love to hear from you over there as well. We're daily posting, so it's cool stuff. Cool little eight-second videos. Eight seconds. Give me eight seconds daily. Guarantee it might change your life forever. With that said, help me welcome her in. It is painful to say this introduction, by the way, and, and you'll hear why in just momentarily, but help me welcome her in all the way from Raleigh, North Carolina, home of the North Carolina State Wolfpack. Help me welcome her in. She, of course, is a native Carolinian. I think that's how you say that. I should know that, being that I'm a born Carolinian. She is a native Carolinian, again, graduate from North Carolina State. She was diagnosed in her teenage years with obsessive compulsive disorder. Shortened that, it's easier to say, OCD. She's gone through counseling. She's been battling with that, with medications. She's also written this amazing book that I think you got to get in your hand if you have a young lady in your life. I myself, I'm going to try to get it in my hand because I would like to read more of her story on this. So help me welcome her. And she, of course, is a wife to Scott. And of course, she has three amazing children that keep her on her toes. And as I said, she is the best-selling author of Loving Naomi. Help me welcome her in, Megan Newkirk. Megan, how are you today? I'm doing great. I'm so, so happy to be here. Very excited to be on your show today. Well, I got to tell you, that painful introduction was I <laughs> had to say North Carolina State Wolfpack. I can't even Go believe back. I can't even believe I said it again. For those that don't know, North Carolina, I think, has a rivalry in North Carolina State. Now, I know uh, some of you are like, Neil, you didn't graduate from there. You need to let this fandom go. No, I will not let it go. Don't let it go. You're a true not. Tar Heel fan. I am a true. You, sa- you saw the background. You've seen see the studio because we're on Zoom together. People know. They're, she was like, wow, yeah. you really have a lot of light blue. She said that in the green room. <laughs> It's an awful color. I mean, red wow. is just way more attractive. But Wolfpack and the Tar Heels go way back. I actually, truth be told, in, I want to say it was uh, high school, I only got, almost got into a fist fight once. And it was over an NC State Carolina basketball game that NC State had won. And uh, an acquaintance said that we won, and it was lucky. And I did not agree. I did not think it was a lucky win. And so we got pretty close to each other in an argument, but nobody swung any punches, but there was a little bit of intervention. So I'm not proud to say it, but I'm kind of proud to say it. So (laughs) yes, I am a Wolfpack fan through and through. 
Well, what's funny about that, and that's a great story. What's funny about that over here is we have Klamath Falls High School. Their mascot is a pelican. All right. So figure this out. <laughs> yeah. A pelican of all things. Right. But here's where it gets wacky is during cross country season, they would put up the wolf pack sign. And I know that really? only because of the, you know, North Carolina, North Carolina state rivalry, if you want to call it that. I don't oh, think it's, it's a really rivalry a rivalry. Sure. Duke's more of our rival, <laughs> just saying. But anyway, but they would throw they would throw up this like wolf pack sign. I'm like, what are you doing? And the I guess what they did is they used the wolf pack as a rallying cry for their cross country team. So I don't know how um, that relates to a pelican, but there's my wolf pack story. But also hmm. being a Seattle Seahawks fan, being in the Northwest as that I am, we have Russell Wilson and I Still, part yes. of me doesn't want to cheer for him you got because to. he went to, because he went to NC State. But he was also a badger. He was, I know. He was also know, a badger. I know. So it's okay. And that's why okay. I allow myself to cheer for him because of the badger <laughs> connection. So, all right, we digress. So, Megan, yes. help me out with this because I know you know because you've probably listened to a few shows that I'm kind of a shoe nut. So you kind of know what's coming here. But Megan, help us with this. What style of shoe are we wearing today? I already have my answer to this. <laughs> Well, currently I'm not wearing any shoes, but if you were to find me uh, on a normal like summer day, so I'm, I like expensive shoes, but I like comfortable shoes. I'm not a high heel, high heel girl. So you're going to find me in Birkenstocks, knockoff Uggs or regular Uggs if they're on sale in the winter and Toms. Those are my jam. And then uh, I would say my, probably my most favorite are my running shoes. Those are like, I couldn't pick one. I was like, I know he's going to ask me what are on my feet, but those are probably my, my top picks. For sure. Are you an avid runner then? I try to be. Gosh. Yeah, I know. With three kids, it's probably tough, right? Okay. Yeah, it's good for my mental health and it's good for just um, resetting things. So I, I try to go as often as possible. The humidity right now is about ready to just yeah. do everybody it's, in. So it's too um, much. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a bit much. But but yeah, I do I do try to get into a regular a couple times a week of running. I do love it. Yeah, I was really good at running and then COVID hit and I'm going to mm. just blame that on that. But, uh, <laughs> but I too am a big runner. 5k is kind of my thing. And, uh, cool. and I love, I love to run 5ks. So enough training, but not enough to like, you know, stop everything from happening in my life. So it takes a lot of, of time when you get past about five miles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 10 <laughs> k's too much. 5k is like just, just right in my That's opinion. Right. So there it is. All right. Well, awesome. So Megan, if we were to come out to Raleigh, could we just skip the Raleigh trip and just like maybe head over to the Chapel Hill? And, and if so, what would we go and hang out together and do? Whatever. You, would, you just yeah. pass it I on the freeway. I don't know what's in Chapel just Hill. Right I don't know. It. We would maybe go, what is it? Zoom. Franklin Street? Yeah. <laughs> we would just zoom through. I don't even think I know anything in, in Chapel Hill, quite honestly. I haven't spent that much time there. I know actually probably more in Durham, but Duke's there. So we don't really want to go there. <laughs> So if you were to come to Raleigh, though, I would take you to the North Carolina Arboretum because that's um, my dad's a horticulture professor at NC State and he uh, knows all the plants and all the things and it's a beautiful garden. So that's where we would go. That sounds fun. Yeah. I like yeah. I like flowers. I like giving my yeah. wife flowers. So, you know, that's fun, right? Some stargazer lilies. Maybe he could get us some of those yeah. hooked up. Yeah. Know. Oh, all kinds of stuff. Okay. All, kinds. all right. Yeah. So awesome. So Megan, <laughs> getting into your story, I got to be honest, I went and listened to you on Amber Collins podcast. Grace enough. Great episode you you did with her. Great friend of ours. And, and Amber, thank you so much for introducing me to Megan. Yes. Uh, despite the NC State connection. We'll just, we're going <laughs> to set that aside now. We're we're pressing forward. We're done. But we're, we're done with we're that. But Amber and you had a great conversation. And for those that want to go listen to that, I think it is going to be hopefully a kind of maybe one chapter and then you go to ours for the second chapter, if you will. But I'm curious about this. Has there ever been a moment in your life that you really 
just felt like, man, I'm just not enough and really struggled with that. Yes. You know, if you've, if you've listened to Amber's podcast, you'll kind of learn there's like all these different categories to OCD. And, and for me, um, I, I have a lot of them or I've struggled with a lot of them. And I would say that the, the one moment um, that really hit me was when my, my oldest um, was about five years old. And I have always struggled with the fear of harming um, that something I would do would harm someone else or something that I thought would harm someone else. And I would obsess about that and often make pretty weird decisions in a way of preventing putting myself in a position where I could accidentally do something. So with that said, my son was about five years old. He needed his tonsils out. And so we got, we got his tonsils out. And as those of you who are parents, or if you've had them out yourself, it is a miserable process. It's a very long recovery. So on about day five, he was a pretty strong-willed five-year-old and he was very difficult and challenging at the time. I had been pretty lenient that week with behavior management. And on this fifth day, uh, which if you've had your tonsils out, you might know that that's when the scabs fall off. And if they come off too soon, you can have some bleeding. So anyways, long story short, um, I had to put him in timeout. I had to actually take him from my sister's house. He was really misbehaving there. And I decided it was time. I was frustrated with him. I was feeling angry with him. I was like, we need to leave. So we got up, we left. Um, I put him in the car. We live really, my sister and I live quite close. And um, he screamed like pretty much bloody murder, like the whole ride home. Um, I remember looking back at him and going, stop screaming. Like you're, why are you screaming so hard? You're going to hurt your throat, whatever. Well, he ended up um, having to go back into the hospital that evening um, because he was bleeding in his throat. And it was so bad that he was swallowing, you know, lots and lots of blood. And if you swallow a lot of blood, you get really nauseous. Well, um, I had to drive him to the hospital by myself. We only, we couldn't get help for the kids. So my husband had to stay home and the whole drive there, I just was trying not to cry, trying to be strong. When we got to the hospital, he, he got really sick and it was, it was all blood. And the doctor was like, yeah, he's got these scabs that are coming off too early and uh, we need to do surgery again. And I just, I was by myself, it's two in the morning. And I was like, I am an abusive mother. And it just was like the mantra of my heart. I just felt like I had failed. I had failed him. I shouldn't have ever put him in timeout. I should have never taken him from my sister's house. I was angry with him in that moment. And it became this obsession for me. Um, I confessed to the doctor that I had done that. And he assured me that it was nothing that I had done. I talked with the pediatrician about it multiple times. I I checked with the ENT multiple times. It was something that I could not let go of. And we're talking years of me asking over and over, did I cause this? Did I cause this? And the truth was that no one could tell me there was uncertainty there. And for someone with OCD, that is like battery acid. I mean, it's awful because you don't have the answer. And so you have to think about it. You have to think about it and think about it and ask and get reassurance. And I wasn't getting that. I wasn't finding out what the cause of this was. I didn't know. I couldn't, nobody could tell me. I remember I finally went and asked one final pediatrician and he's actually a gentleman that goes to our church. And I remember telling him that he screamed and that I put him in timeout and that this is what happened. And I think I caused it. And he goes, well, you know, there's really no way to know, but you know, he didn't have to scream. I just remember kind of thinking, oh, what do you mean he didn't have to scream? And he's like, he could have chosen not to scream. He, he could have, you know, listened to his body telling him that it hurts. You still had to be his parent. I still in that moment got no actual reassurance, but what I got was a strategy. And so since that time, I can still actually like, if I allow myself to relive it, 
I'll have anxiety and I'll feel guilty and I'll feel like a failure again. But God has now replaced it graciously with this strategy that I think, okay, he didn't have to scream. He's fine. He's now a thriving, moody 12 year old. He doesn't even remember it. But that was a very formative moment for me where I just really felt like uh, I'm I'm not enough as a mom and I don't know how I'm ever going to outlive this moment and become a better, a better version of the kind of mom that I wanted to be. Well, first off, you know, what you're describing to me sounds like just any other normal, you know, mom, we could even scratch out mom there and put dad in there. I mean, I'm sure I've had a dad moment like that myself, right? right? You know, where maybe I overreacted or maybe I punished too hard or, you know, whatever. I mean, to me, it sounds quote unquote normal. But for you, why is that so not normal? I mean, you mentioned the OCD, obviously the portion of it. One of the questions I had for you was, was help us understand how OCD is so hard. Because again, I've read some of your stuff on your blogs, which are fantastic. People should go definitely check that out. And it did give me a little glimpse of what you walk through. For me, I, again, I have no concept of OCD. I think of again, Howie Mandel, I I know he's prominent in our society as far as open about his OCD. Mm -hmm. Like he has to wash his hands. He's a germaphobe. We kind of snicker and laugh at that, but we're like, come on, he's just being, you know, whatever. But but for you, why are those thoughts so dangerous, I guess is what I'm asking. Well, I would say they're, they're well, they're constant. Um, they're anxiety producing. They lead in a circle, so there's really no end. It kind of goes past like a point of... Um, just generalized anxiety where maybe you feel anxious about a particular situation or you're just living at a heightened level of anxiety. But with OCD, what happens is it it becomes necessary to perform these rituals in order to feel relief from that anxiety. So like in the case of the, the tonsil, episode, I would get into a pain. I would have a panic attack at even the thought of what had happened with him. And then it would cause me, I mean, I would sit at the end of the bed and truly relive the moments when I made him sit in timeout of when we were driving, I would torture myself kind of reliving these things. And I would have to rethink like, was that abusive? Was it not abusive? Did, you know, It's almost like a, a, a detective trying to, you know, weed out what the truth is and what exactly happened and why. And so that rumination is one of the very common OCD symptoms. Also, the seeking of reassurance is a really, really big one also. And it just, it becomes like your whole world is just the thinking and the doing and the trying to relieve anxiety. And it comes in just a rainbow of ways. Like you can find just countless different ways of how it manifests itself in people. And I've met so many people who are like, oh, I don't have that, but I have this. And I'm like, wow, I never would have thought the brain could go there, but the patterns are what is similar across all OCD sufferers. And that is the, you know, the fear and then the need to relieve the anxiety that comes with that fear with a compulsion. And it doesn't always look like what you might think. Um, I mean, the easy one, yes, is washing hands. I had that one. Uh, You want to wash your hands until they feel clean. And sometimes they don't ever feel clean and you'll wash them 18,000 times and it just doesn't feel clean. And it doesn't make sense because you've washed your hand once and that should be enough, but it's not. Sometimes people associate numbers, like you have to do it three times because three is this designated number that your brain has just kind of decided this is the good number. It's not logical. And I think people try to make it logical. And sometimes it, you know, sure, you don't want to get sick, you wash your hands. But for me, like eating my french fries with a fork, uh, like that's not really 
what people typically do. You know, my sister and I will still go out to eat and she'll be like, don't you dare eat your French fries with your fork. I'm going to like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, I won't. It, it, there's a, there's a point where it crosses over. And it also like, like people will say, I'll say I have OCD and they'll go, Oh, I do too. And I'll think to myself, are you tortured by your mind? Because if you're not, then you probably don't have OCD. You know, that's kind of my rule of thumb. <laughs> like if you just think that you like things organized, then you don't have OCD. That's what I was going to ask you. I, I started telling some people that I know that I trust that, you know, I'm trying to get interested in the show. So I, I give them a little like tease of who's coming on or, you know, who's next or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I've been talking to people about you. So hopefully that's okay. You know, that we're kind of gearing oh, yeah. up for, Hey, we're going to have this gal come on and she has OCD. And, you know, I started looking back over my life and I know you're not a doctor. You're not Dr. Megan, but I'm, Oh no. <laughs> No, not, not even, even close. close. They don't offer doctorates, <laughs> apparently, at NC State. All right, last joke. Last oh. joke. All right, last joke. Last joke. <laughs> but, uh, but what I'm wondering about is, like, for years, and when I say years, like, I can't remember a time of not doing this, chewing my fingernails. Does that make me OCD? Does having, does having things, like, in groups of two or even numbers, does that make me OCD? No, because you're not tortured by it. It's not inhibiting your life. I mean, I think we all, like, it's a spectrum, right? Like, we all have tendencies. I mean, it's no different than having maybe a, you have a depressed day, like, oh, I was really down for this week or this season or whatever. Like, but that doesn't mean you have clinical depression. Um, we all have these little, you know, like nuanced idiosyncrasy, parts of our I right? think is the word. Idiosyncrasy yeah, yeah, is yeah. a great, yes, that's yeah. perfect. Yeah. And so, you know, we all, we all have things like that, but like for me, you know, as a, as a kid, and I think I mentioned this in the other podcast too, but I like in having these kind of intrusive images that I didn't want, you know, I would, I would dig my fingernails in the back of my hand and I, I had cuts like all along the back of my hand from my fingernails in fingernail shapes. Um, and I would lie to my friends and go, oh, it's just my cats, or, you know, that it scratched my hand. But really what it was, was me trying to stop those thoughts that feel out of control. You don't really, I mean, we all have like little weird thoughts every so often. And now that I'm more balanced in my thinking, I realize like, oh, they do just happen, you know, to everybody. And I've realized that, but it, when it's this just kind of cascade and waterfall of what is my brain going to think? And, and even when you're not thinking something scary or getting a weird image, you feel like you're at the top of a roller coaster about to. So there's this constant anticipation and fear of like, what could I possibly think in this moment? It's really tiring and it becomes, and then you, you obviously you find something to fixate on because your brain can't let it be empty. And, um, and then that becomes the thing and all other things that you've worried about before get really small. And it's just that one thing suddenly becomes the, the big thing. Well, you wrote about it too. And, and really it's a great blog. I actually went out and, and read it on your site about a hammer. And, and if you wouldn't mm -hmm. mind, maybe talk about that. Because to me, when I read through that, one, I, it gave me a perspective of, of maybe the thought process and things like that. But to me, mm -hmm. it gave me, I think, a little glimpse into these invasive thoughts and why you personally really have to take those thoughts captive more so than maybe somebody else who doesn't suffer from OCD. Maybe speak on that if you're willing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I think like for me, getting back to the whole harming thing, uh, obviously, I, I also have a pretty big imagination. I mean, I wrote a book, so there's lots of stories in there. And I think when you have an image 
that really can be haunting, it latches on. And the more you think about it, the more your brain thinks that's important. So I don't remember when it happened to me as a kid, but I just remember there was a time when my dad must have been working on something. I mean, I was young enough that I don't remember when it was. He was working on something and the hammer was out. And I just, you know, got this violent image of taking the hammer and doing something with it to my loved one. And it shook me and I I had physical like response. And I, I like I said, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I just remember never being able to pass a hammer without feeling fearful of those thoughts. Well, then being fearful of the thoughts became fearful of the potential for actually doing something. When you're fearful that you're going to do something, you have to prove to yourself by your thoughts that you're not going to do it. So then you have to replay what you're going to do instead. And then that triggers more intrusive thoughts because you're trying, it's like telling somebody don't think about an elephant. They're just going to think about an elephant or a zebra, whatever the... the animal is. But you, you know, I think for me, picking up a hammer felt like, and I kind of describe it actually in the book, the character, I think has to touch it or something at one point. And I mean, it physically feels like a jolt to your system. Like, what am I going to, and the fear itself is so overwhelming. You think that that's a desire to do it. And OCD is a liar in how you even remember things. So like you may have an experience or have a thought and you try to relive it to prove to yourself that it means nothing to you. Well, your brain, will insert all kinds of feelings and thoughts, other thoughts and emotions that you're like, wait, if I'm feeling this at the same time, then it must mean that it's true. And it it doesn't even really remember the actual initial interaction correctly from that point forward. So you've kind of lost your credibility because you can't remember it right because your OCD is changing it all around. Um, So for me, it took many years of just kind of like getting over that whole hammer thing. And really it was other things. It was knives. It was, and that was much in my younger years, probably college, college age that I would just kind of cringe and uh, like, I just couldn't, couldn't bring myself to interact with whatever that was. And sometimes I'd be fine. Like sometimes I'd be chopping vegetables and then it would just, come out of nowhere. And that's also unnerving because you kind of never know when it's going to when it's going to strike. That's fascinating on so many levels, but also so just peculiar. Not that, you you know, I'm I'm being very delicate because I don't want to, you know, trigger anything. That just to me shows as weird as it's going to sound, that to me shows that there is a creator. Oh, yeah. Because how else... Could all these like whatever, whatever's what, and I don't even know the terminology because I'm not a neuroscientist or whatever. I don't even know if that's the right word. I'm not a brain guy. I did watch Grey's Anatomy once, but that was it. Um, (laughs) Just once. Just once. (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like to me, you're married, you got kids, you know, kids have their own messes and things like that. And that's what I think of OCD. Like things have to be a certain order, like the vacuuming needs to be done, you know, hand washing. We talked about that. I never even thought about the intrusive thought thing until I met you and started, you know, obviously mm. looking into what your stuff is is all about. And to me, that was the most fascinating thing I think I learned mm. from your work and, and the things that you've shared online and stuff. So just cool, but also like, just like, what? Well, I am cool, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, why you're cool. Exactly. Right. But for me, you know, like I said, I was talking about, you know, you being married and having kids and all that. How hard was that to tell you know, at the time, your boyfriend, now your husband, hey, BT dubs, I have OCD and I'm kind of, you know, whatever. I mean, like, how did that conversation go down? Well, interestingly enough, the reason I went to therapy is because I wanted to marry him. And so he dated me at my worst. I mean, he dated me for four years of just kind of, and obviously he didn't always know. Sometimes we'd be you know, riding in the car or whatever. And I would actually like have a thought and I'd go, Ooh, and I'd say it to myself and he'd go, he would kind of look at me and go, well, 
what? And I, oh, you know, nothing. My brain's just whatever. Like he never, he, for whatever reason, and I think this is just God's grace to me that, you know, God just gave me a very patient and kind and loving husband who just saw me for who I really was and looked past that OCD filter. And so when I actually was diagnosed, it was a huge relief for all of us because it kind of gave a name to what it was that was causing me to be so tortured. And then I thought, wow, I can, he could actually maybe marry me now. Like this is huge because um, I didn't see how I was going to have children being that I was wanting children, but terrified of having them and what I would do to them. So it was like, how can I, I don't even know what that's going to bring. So I think I just really am so thankful for him every single day because he has just, there've been times where I've told him certain fears, which he doesn't ask, but he has had to live through a lot of my throw up fears, but you know, some of when you marry somebody, you got to deal. (laughs) So he has seen some irrational me with that. And we've talked about it, but there have been times where I've opened up and I've said like, this is, and I, you know, you don't want to say it out loud. And he is so like, okay, like, what, what do you want me to say about it? And I'm like, well, that you're freaked out or that you think, and he's like, no, I mean, I know who you are. You know, I know who God made you and he doesn't ever think it's weird, which is what's really strange about it. Cause you'd think he'd think it was weird, but he doesn't. I just happened to win the jackpot with that with him. So. Oh, stop it. My other line is <laughs> ringing. It's Hallmark. <laughs> They're wondering if you want to do a movie. Good golly. Yes, I do want to do a movie. Yes, I want my book to be a movie. Are you kidding? Well, your book and maybe even your marriage. Who knows? I don't know. I always tease because Hallmark makes the best movies, right? Oh, well, so here, but here's the thing. In the book, it's actually very much based on our experience. So the two characters, the two main characters, Naomi and Joshua, are actually very, very, very much based on Scott and I. It's funny because when he read it, he read the like really janky version that needed a lot of grammatical correction but when he got done with it he was like is joshua like supposed to be like sort of like me and i said i said well yeah and he's like well you wrote him to be a lot nicer than i am and i was like oh my word but he's just kind of he's hard on himself and i'm like dude come on also shana the sister character and Bo, her love interest is so shana is naomi's sister and she is my sister all day, every day and so that was just super fun because this book was never in i never intended to publish it so I loosely started writing about people in my life and then it got bigger and bigger. And then I went, Oh, should I ask you guys if this is okay? Like, I think I'm going to publish this. <laughs> so. I'm asking for a friend. Should I publish this? Yeah. I always do that yeah, when I don't like, want to answer something. Okay? I'm like, I'm asking for a friend, you know? Yeah. Is it okay if I write about this aspect of your personality? Is that okay? Maybe, <laughs> Maybe. easier to get forgiveness know. than it is to get permission sometimes. Just saying. Absolutely. <laughs> you get a diagnosis. But that doesn't necessarily, quote unquote, cure you of OCD, right? You're going to always, unless God somehow delivers you, being a person of faith, sounds like you are as well. Unless God somehow delivers you, Megan, you're always going to be dealing with OCD. Does that ever make you question like, God, I'm just not enough for you. You had to give me this burden. Do you ever like question your faith in him or do you allow yourself to go down that road? Um, I would actually say no, I've never, I've questioned myself as whether or not I'm enough for God. Like I've had a lot of, particularly when I was a kid, a lot of scrupulous thoughts, scared of saying certain things that might end up, you know, end me, land me in hell or whatever. Um, I think I've always seen people with much harder things. So I feel like even though this has been super hard and I'm sure there've been days where I've asked God why, I think he's also blessed me with maybe a little bit of perspective that everybody's got something. And so 
this just happens to be what I've, you know, what I've got. There've been seasons where I think my family probably was like, wow, this is, you know, this is a lot. And maybe they were a bit exasperated with me. And I was oftentimes exasperated with myself. I, I feel as though it's led me closer to him because it's kind of forced me on my knees a lot because he is my biggest strategy. So, and I don't mean just praying the anxiety away. I mean, like he walked with me through ERP and he walked with me through all the times that I've had to have panic attacks, testing myself to do something I don't want to do. And if he wasn't walking with me and I, you know, I feel him with me, he is providing peace for me in those moments. So he's really a tool as much as he is my creator and almighty God. So I add that to his list of many, many wonderful qualities, but, but thankfully I've been blessed and it has not caused me to doubt my faith. Yeah. That's fantastic because I think about if it was me again, if I'm in your shoes, which I think we decided on running shoes, Mm -hmm. which I'm okay with, or maybe the off-brand Uggs, (laughs) or I say the wish version of Uggs, whatever it may be, you know, it's fine. But for me, if if I'm walking in those shoes, to me, I think I would have played the blame game. Unlike you, I would have been like, you know what, God, you're, you're kind of dumb. Like, why are you giving me this? You know, I know the classic line, God will never give you anything that you can't handle. That's, that's not in the Bible. In case anyone's wondering, it's not, it's not in there anywhere. I've, I've looked thoroughly. It's, it's not there. Prove me wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's not there. But leading back into you, for me, how do you best describe OCD to somebody who doesn't meet you? Like somehow we meet in a mixer or we meet, you know, at a North Carolina NC State basketball game, which we're dominating at halftime. And so, you know, you have no shot. But somehow we bump into each other. Like, I mean, do you just naturally tell people? How does that come up in conversation? Or how do you get people to try to understand kind of where you're at or where you're walking, if that makes sense? When I was younger, um, given that I had a lot of that relational OCD, oftentimes it would come out because I would... I would follow up something with a, Hey, I didn't mean to say fill in the blank. And I, you know, I'd be obsessing about something. I'd have to go back and check and get some reassurance from them. So it would always come out in this like very uncomfortable way. Cause it would be like, Oh, I have OCD and people are thinking, okay, she, what likes things clean? Why does she care about what I think about, you know? So there was already a lack of understanding and I also didn't want to talk about it. And I couldn't walk away from those conversations without having more interest thoughts. So I kind of avoided it at all costs. And then in well, I'm trying to think what year it was. Um, I gave my testimony to the youth at our church. I work with the youth at our church. I gave my testimony. I was not medicated at that time. Still very much in need of therapy. <laughs> constant, more constant therapy anyway. And I needed medication. But anyways, I decided I was going to go and share that I had OCD. Well, that was, it was horrible. I mean, it was great that I did it, but I was not prepared for giving that piece of myself to these young people. I think it blessed them, but I think I walked away just feeling like I, what did I do? And just rethinking everything I said. And and so it wasn't until after my third child, I don't think she was born at the time I gave that testimony that I realized I was working really hard. And I think my, my baseline was just always so anxious, but it wasn't until after her that I was literally having physical symptoms. I had convinced myself that I had some sort of intestinal blockage and I actually went and got a colonoscopy, which if you've had a colonoscopy, that's like a horrible procedure. I don't know why anyone would be worried enough to get one, but I was, I got through with the procedure and the doctor told me I was normal. And I asked him in my propofol or whatever you call that stuff, stupor, I asked him for reassurance. And I thought, you know, I got to ask him one more time that I'm okay. And so this is a very roundabout way of answering your question of how I tell people about OCD, but, but it got 
got to the point where it was really, really starting to creep out into my life such that it was oozing into places that people who loved me could see it more than I wanted to. And I had two very, very good friends basically tell me like, hey, you're working really hard and we know that you have this in your history because I close friends knew about it. Maybe you might want to think about getting back on medication and going to see a therapist more regularly. Well, I was just furious. I mean, it felt like a you know, a punch to the gut. And my counselor had actually, or my psychiatrist had actually given me um, Xanax for panic attacks, which I had never taken. And a friend of mine was like, the next time you're in a rumination, you need to take a half of one and just see if it helps. And I did. And I was like, is this what normal people feel like on a regular basis? And I went back to my counselor who I hadn't seen it forever. And she's like, yeah, you're not supposed to be working as hard as you're working. And so that's when I started taking something every day. And now I find that because of the book, it comes up and it wouldn't have, if there wasn't the book, probably as much, I'm definitely more comfortable talking about it, but I feel like the answer is really long. Like I just had my teeth cleaned last week and it the book came up and I said I had OCD and she goes, oh my gosh, so do I. And I was like, oh, okay. I like, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to like, based on other things she was saying, I'm like, I don't think, like I said, I'm not a doctor, but like the things she was associating with it had nothing to do with it. So I find that if I don't have the time to explain it to somebody, it's hard because it's a long answer. It's not a like, oh, this is what OCD is. But people who are close to me, I definitely enjoy answering questions. And, you know, if it comes out in conversation, especially about the book uh, with people who don't know me, I really don't mind answering questions now. And I don't have those second guessing thoughts anymore. Like I don't sit around and go, oh, should I have told them this? And it's not like I delve into my brain and tell them all my intrusive thoughts. I don't know. I hope that answered your question. <laughs> no, I, I, I think it did. You did great. So here's my question. As mm -hmm. you say all of that, do you wish you didn't have it? No, I really don't. And I don't know that I would have always said that. that that's exactly, that was going to be my next question. So, I mean, if we jumped into yeah. DeLorean, right? We went back to, you know, little Megan in, in I, I guess, like yes. what, middle school-ish? You know, where you first start kind of discovering that you got this hamster on the wheel that mm -hmm. just can't get off. And I and I said to you, mm -hmm. we're in the future. Like, I got to come somehow. <laughs> I don't know. Because I own the DeLorean, maybe. I don't know. But I got to come with you because I would mm -hmm. want to see your reaction, maybe. But in all seriousness, like somehow we got back into time and you got to walk up mm -hmm. to that middle school you maybe say some things to that middle school you that would identify who you are i know this is going to mess with a space time <laughs> continuum butterfly effect and all that i get it these <laughs> nerds out there are freaking out right now but i'm just but i'm but i'm being serious like if we could somehow get back in time and you could address that middle school you and you could verify that it was you and you could say listen little girl let me give you a hug you're going to be okay but i'm here to either a take it from you or b let you live it out. What do you think that middle school girl, and I know it's a big what if, but what, what do you think that middle school girl would, would want? Oh, she would want me to take it. She would want me to take it. And I didn't even think at that time I understood. I just, and what's really kind of ironic is actually, you know, so in OCD language, uh, contamination is a big word. Like things become contaminated and can no longer be dealt with. And honestly, like when I would walk through school, my shoes were contaminated. It's really, they were the first object that in my mind I considered contaminated. So there's a little irony here with the other people's shoes. But I think that middle school girl would want me to take it for sure. I think I would probably just advise her that, you know, this too shall pass. You know, sanctification is not a fun process. We all have to go through it. And God uses different things for different people to bring him to himself and for our good and his glory. And as hard as it is for me to say that I'm thankful for it. And I think probably the first time I actually said that it probably tasted like vinegar, but I am like, I truly 
see how God has just created relationships and he's brought people to himself. He's brought me to himself. He has just blessed me in so many ways that have come through OCD and the type of mom that I am. I can see now how OCD has actually been a blessing in that. I actually, I listened to another podcast um, called OCD stories, which is a great podcast. If you want to learn more about OCD, one of the counselors on there basically said like all of their patients with OCD are very delightful people. And (laughs) I'm not saying that because I think I'm delightful, but I think a lot of what comes with OCD of being very conscientious, being overly thoughtful, being concerned about harming, being concerned about different things like that actually, and, and truly people who have OCD are the least likely person to do the things that they're afraid they're going to do. Oftentimes they're just very kind people. And I don't, I'm really truly not trying to like toot my own horn here. I, in having met over this process of writing this book, met people with OCD like myself in different forms. I have found that to be true. There's just a very like conscientious nature that carries through. And so there's a blessing in that. It can be torture because it causes all kinds of other things, but I think God can use anything. And, and even OCD. So that's kind of been my mantra. Like God can use anything and he can even use OCD. No, I agree. And I think so many times, so many times when trauma happens to us, our immediate, at least mine, my immediate reaction is no, of course, if I got a mulligan, if I got a do over, I would absolutely take it hundred percent of the time. But I think there are other times I've had to look back and go, you know what? But I learned and grew so much from that, whatever it was that uh, sometimes I wonder, would it have been different? Would I have learned that lesson another way? Sometimes it was a really hard lesson to learn a painful lesson. Like Mm -hmm. I've heard it even said, sometimes I want to skip the pain, but get the lesson. And I'm like, that that's not how life works, unfortunately. So you mentioned the book. How can people go and get it, maybe read it, but how can people go and do that, Megan? Yeah, so it's on Amazon. Um, It's called Loving Naomi. Um, You can also get it at www.westbowpress.com if you want to get it straight from the publisher. Um, I have a website, which is um, meganewkirkwrites.com. And I do have um, blogs, blog posts from last year on there. And then I'm starting up my my fall weekly um, posting. Had to take the summer off to kind of kick back with the kids, but I'm back at regular writing. So I think I'm trying to take the blog as an opportunity to like highlight aspects of OCD. And then the book is very much a, an entertaining way to learn about OCD. Um, I would definitely recommend it for, I think you said at the beginning, which I think is spot on um, young girls. Um, It's very appropriate. There's no images or language or anything that would be inappropriate for even a young teen. I would recommend it for anybody who likes, you know, I'm trying to think if you should call it a romance, but I guess it kind of is much to my chagrin, but, but yeah, if you, it's, it's an, it's an education in an entertaining form. So um, if you like to read and you want kind of a beach read, it's, it's definitely not Ernest Hemingway, but I, uh, I enjoyed writing it and I've heard good feedback. And so um, hopefully it will entertain many, many more and teach people at the same time. Fantastic. You forgot to mention that they can also get it at opspodcast.com slash books that I love because it'll be up towards the top (laughs) of our page. So they can also go there if they didn't get all that that you were saying they can go there as well. Now, mind you, it is not above the Roy Williams, Dean Smith, Carolina books. Oh, my word. (laughs) But it's just right below that. Just a little. Let it go. A little bit below that. (laughs) I had to get one more in. I know I said I was done, but I got to get one more in. I will confess, I, I do, you know, I, we, my husband and I joke, like if you're going to become an NC State fan, 
you also have to have somebody who can be your like basketball therapist because it the struggle is real. I mean, you think every year is going to be our year and it's just uh just never happens. So those, this year is our year. Those, I can feel those it. Kids in blue just ugh, either know. one, you know, whether it be the kids from <laughs> Puke Town Blurham or however you say it, Blurham. I don't even know. Oh my gosh, Durham. No, it's Blurham or something. I'm I'm not oh even sure I can't even say that word. <laughs> just funny. Last question goes to you, and and I'm really excited about this because I'm I'm curious about your answer on this one. So I did some research, by the way. Have you mm. been to Carter Finley Stadium? <sighs> Have I been to Carter Finley Stadium? Yes. Do you know just ballpark guess seating capacity of said stadium? No. I'm horrible at by the way, that is where the North Carolina State Wolfpack try to play their football games. So, by the way, here's the seating capacity, 57,538 wow. people. I don't... It's a lot of people. So, imagine just just for a moment, we okay. put you 50-yard line. Big old NC uh-huh. State logo in the middle of that. And I hand you the microphone I'm talking into right now. And you got people who have been in middle school through, let's say, I don't know, we'll just say 65-ish, 70-ish people age-wise. They've dealt with OCD pretty much their whole bringing up now and into their adulthood and into their latter years. You're an OCD expert. You walk it. You know that road well. What would you say to inspire those people in that moment who have been battling it with it again most of their life and, and even now as they are getting diagnosed? What would you say to them? Well, I would say kind of my favorite little like tagline uh, that I've kind of, I don't know, it's kind of been in my heart throughout this whole process of like being on these podcasts. And that is that OCD is a liar, but God isn't. And OCD lies, but God never does. I think being able to tell them to change their scope of what, where truth comes from, because OCD feels true. Um, but the truth comes, comes from one place. And that is from God. That's fantastic to think about, because again, I think so many times we know it in our head, right? Mm-hmm. That, that truth needs to be found, that truth really is, you know, the way to go and that fear is a liar. I mean, we, we see all these bumper stickers and Facebook, you know, Instagram, and we, we get excited and we hit that heart button. We're like, yeah, we know that. But has Megan always known that? Has Megan always believed that? Has Megan always followed that? And if so, why not? No, no, (laughs) no. I mean, no, No, I haven't always followed that. Good night. No. And I think, I think that's because this world is full of uncertainty. I mean, you can't know everything about what the things we're going to do or say, or how they're going to affect other people or how the, my thoughts might go out into the world. I think if we can grasp where truth comes from, it can help us to handle all of the times when we are convinced that what our OCD is telling us is true um, is not And so I say like, no, because I still, when my kids come home from school and say so-and-so barfed on the table and I have to walk away extremely uncomfortable, wanting to know who that kid was, where they were sitting, how close were you to them? Did you wash your hands? Did you put your fingers in your mouth? Did you do this? And then the, the next whatever, 24, 48 hours of agony, because I don't know if my kid's going to get sick in that moment. I got to really be preaching to myself and I got to really be using my strategies because for me, prayer is a strategy, but sometimes I got to really tap into like the practical. I'm not allowed to think about this after this certain time. I can't call my mom 15 times and ask her if the kids are going to be okay. You know, like 
those are those practical things that God provides. So I think it's just important to have a good therapist and to be on the right kind of medication. Because for me, the reason that I'm sitting here today able to talk to you is because I take Prozac every night. So if I didn't, this would be impossible because I would be so worried about what I would say. I might do it, but I would be miserable after. I mean, I still struggle with those fears even today. Um, with giving up control. Well, thank you for your transparency on that and your candor. I really appreciate that. By the way, in preparation for today, I came across this amazing quote. I want to get your thoughts on it and then we'll play a game together because games are fun, right? You love love games. games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Games are fun. All right, here we go. So here's this quote. Love to get your thoughts on it. It says this. It says, a lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is putting on its shoes. Hmm. What do you think that means to you? By the way, Charles Spurgeon said that. So oh, I Charles love Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon. All right, read it, read so it one I'll more get time it to, if you don't Yeah, mind. I'll get it to you again. Just make sure. Not at all. So here we go. So a lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is putting on its shoes. Mm, wow. Man, that is deep. I mean, truth takes work, which, I mean, putting on shoes implies work, <laughs> where the lie is just traveling. Um, I'm not really sure what his intention was, but... You know, it, it is hard to know the truth. It's hard to tell the truth. It's hard to speak the truth. Uh, it takes takes effort and work. And I love that. Wow, that that I'm gonna have to think on that one. I just was googling. I don't know why, but I was googling shoe quotes today. No way. And seriously, I don't know why I hadn't done that before. But anyway, so that popped through, and I was like, Wow. Huh. And I read it like a few times, like, you know, I just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't quite get my head around it. But the thing I, I came to the conclusion of much like you did is truth does take work. Yeah. It implies like, Hey, you're going, you know, when I put my shoes on, I'm going somewhere. I'm, I'm making it happen. Right. right? While a lie is so easily traveled. Yeah. Doesn't take a lot yeah, of Yeah. I work. almost picture like a breeze, you know, like it travels. Yeah. It's just, right. You know, yep. like think how quick a rumor goes around. Right. Like. Right. The game telephone. Yeah. I mean, it just, it goes, I'm going to have some sort of like really genius thought at like three in the morning on that. Don't call me. You can email (laughs) me, but don't call me. I promise. All right. So here's our game. We love this game. By the way, before we get to our game, Megan, thank you. Thank you so much. I know you took time away from your family. That's a big deal to me when people do that. You know, took time away from your husband, the Hallmark husband (laughs) that he is. Tell him I said that. I will. And, uh, and if he doesn't know what that is, sit down and watch a Hallmark movie. Oh, he never listen. would. He'll be watching NC State basketball when that season starts and football when that starts. <laughs> That's weird because there's not – never mind. I'm not going to go there. Never mind. But uh, but no, I'm, I'm serious. I really appreciate what you gave us today. I think you gave us a lot of great insight. And, and guys and gals alike, please – Go check out what Megan's doing. She lists her information. We'll have it in the show notes as well. But uh, but Megan, again, thank oh, you thank so much. Oh, thank you for, for having me. It's been super fun. Well, good. I hope yes. that uh, <laughs> st- sticks true to uh, as we as we play our game together. Let me go grab our, our game piece. Okay. All right, Megan. So here oh is our gosh. game piece. <laughs> you had to get something, Dario. <laughs> Megan, I use this every show. It's not just for you, I Um, promise. You can go back and listen to previous episodes. I always talk about the North Carolina Cup. So here we go. So don't get all whatever on me, wolf packy or whatever you guys do. I won't start how. All right, so we're going to play this game called Senseless. Now, I know, you know, with OCD and and things like that, you've obviously been to the doctor a few times and mentioned your colonoscopy, which is weird, but... It's weird. You know, hey, we had a great conversation. (laughs) but here we go. So how many senses do we have? Help me with this. How many senses? 
Five, right? Yeah. I mean, you say it with like a question. You say it with well, five. five. Yes, it's five. Five senses. Everybody has a different number. I don't know why. But anyway, <laughs> so here we go. So it's our game called Senseless. Uh, you're still in uh, Raleigh area. Pains me to say that. But anyway, so I'm going to roll because you're not in Oregon. I know. I'd love so to come yeah, to Oregon. I've me. never been. This is, you should come. Crater Lake's fun. It's near my house, too. Oh, that sounds fun. All right. So here we go. So I know this is going to be. I promise I didn't move the die, but here you go. This is the number one, mm-hmm. and it has a North Carolina logo on it. Megan is not happy right <laughs> I'm now. I'm going to start searching my closet face. for NC State stuff. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so here we go. It's funny to me, though, kind of funny, but also kind of weird, because it, it's almost like the die knows what we've been talking about sometimes when it happens. So anyway, here's our game. It's called Senseless. Just a fun way to end the show. But, but Megan, how do you want people to see you? How do you want others really to see you? As a child of God, for sure. Just as a, as a messenger for, for the Lord and as, as a child who's proud of being that and not ashamed um, of, of the, the Christ who died for me um, and um, the God who died for me. So that would be how I would want people to see me. And as someone who uh, loves others well and, um, and is, you know, the salt and light. Like I tell my kids every day when they get out of the, the car going into school, I say, be the salt and light. Um, so, you know, that's how I'd want people to see me for sure. And why is that so important to you? I mean, you could have picked anything. Why, why do you feel like that's so important to you? That is so important to me. Cause I just feel like that's kind of what we're called to be. And I, if God calls me to do it, I should want to do it. And I don't always want to do it. I don't mean to say it like, oh, I, I want to always do what God tells me to. But um, but if God commands it, then I then I want to do it. And I want to want to. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, having people see me as the salt and light, which I guess salt is a little bit of taste, which is a different sense. But, you know, you get me. <laughs> I get you. Megan, again, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. All right, kids campers guys and gals alike i don't know about anybody else i always walk away from these conversations always with a little bit more knowledge always with a little bit more perspective but have you ever really stopped to think about the internal battle somebody has i mean when megan's talking all i kept hearing in my heart and in my head and in my processing of what she was saying was are my thoughts enough for you are my struggles enough for you because here's a young lady that met an amazing man really two amazing men really but the first one was her earthly husband boyfriend then becomes husband that's kind of generally how it should work just so you know taking notes at home that's how it should work you meet a guy you marry a guy it's awesome but what if along the way he said listen megan your thoughts are too much for me and what if she encountered a creator a god who says you know what megan i know i made you but your thoughts are too much for me i can't handle you you're too fatiguing you're too this you're too that i ask you this question as we wrap up today who do you trust your thoughts with who do you trust those inner thoughts with that you don't share with anyone show of hands anyone got anyone i know you're probably driving right now it's okay don't don't raise both hands just keep one on the wheel Maybe you're in the middle of that run like Megan and I were talking about. Maybe just take a moment right now and just ask yourself that question. Who do I give my thoughts to? And if it's nobody, nobody's worthy of them. Can I just ask you why? I know I'm a guy in Oregon, obsessed with North Carolina, asking you why. But I really want you to think about that this week. Who on this earth can you trust those thoughts with? Let me know. Let me know if you have somebody. Let me know if you found somebody. Let me know if you need help finding somebody. I have some friends that might be willing to help. Not might be. They would totally be willing to help. 
So just think about that this week as we wrap up. Okay? Can you do that for me? Just a little favor, small, small one, but yet with large impacts perhaps. So just remember this. Don't ever, ever forget. Do not forget. Remember, when you walk in other people's shoes, you really do get a different perspective on life. Thank you so much for listening. And by the way, stay tuned until next week when we walk in other people's shoes.